The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Paul Leslie Hour. Good to have you with us. If you've ever gotten enjoyment or inspiration from the Paul Leslie Hour, consider becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash the Paul Leslie Hour. Leroy Van Dyke is one of those country music legends. He's had a career of more than 60 years. He's recorded more than 500 songs. And I might add, he is still going strong. It wasn't that long ago I was listening to the Grand Ole Opry on Willie's Roadhouse, Sirius XM, and they announced Leroy Van Dyke would be performing at 90 years of age. And the performance was exciting. It was energetic. There was nothing about it that would make you think he was 90 years of age. But he is still going strong, and I've been spending this morning listening to Leroy Van Dyke music. There's a lot of it. I decided I was going to pull out this interview from the archives. This is a piece of music history here. I hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, the man we're talking to is a country music legend, Mr. Leroy Van Dyke. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad to talk to you this morning. You've been recording music for a long time. What has always been the intention with the music that you make? The intention? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, I, I never, I never, I never did have a uh, specific message for anything. I guess it was just to entertain people and and uh, make myself happy too. I don't like to perform songs that I don't like, and I've always tried to pick songs that I liked. But I think what I what I enjoy the most is being able to pick songs and record them that uh, promotes uh, a response in the audience. Sometimes it's a sentimental song that'll make people, or a nostalgic song that'll make people cry. Sometimes it's just uh, it makes them happy. And either one of those emotions is a healthy emotion. Could you make a guess of how many songs you've recorded? Well, I've never really counted them up. I've recorded quite a few songs that have never been released that have uh, been cut on various labels. I've been on several labels, and uh, some somebody made the estimate one time four or 500 songs. I don't know for sure. Wow, that is a lot of songs. Would you say that there's a certain song of yours that is the most meaningful to you? Not necessarily. I don't. There's so many of these songs that have elements in them that I like. Auctioneer is my first record, uh, and I wrote that song about a cousin of mine. And from that standpoint, it's very important to me, and it was very important and meaningful to not only my family but his family. I wrote it about a my, my cousin. It was the an auctioneer, probably the best red livestock auctioneer that ever walked and it, it was meaningful to the, to him and I guess it was meaningful to me. I guess it has to be auctioneer. Now you were born in Missouri. Yeah. What was the atmosphere in your house like as you were growing up? Uh, we were just a, a typical Missouri farm family. My, my dad uh, was a very hard worker. He got up before daylight every morning. We raised cattle, hogs, 
sheep, horses, and mules. This was, uh, I was born in 1929, and uh, we were still using mules in the field, so there was a lot of getting ready to do before we went out to the field to work, or get, getting the mules ready and getting them harnessed up. My mother was an exceptionally good homemaker, exceptionally good mother, and a great cook, and she was as good a partner as any man ever had. So I had really, really good parents with a work ethic, and uh, we'd get up in the morning. Of course, if we went to school, there were five of us kids. We had to get ready to go to school, but a typical morning, if school was not in session, we'd get up and uh, get her clothes on, have a big breakfast, and go out and go to work, come back in at noon. And we all worked hard. We all enjoyed working. There was no fussing, no fighting, no problems, no drinking, no drugs. And uh, everything was a beautiful, beautiful setting. What would you say the atmosphere in your house is today? Well, when we're here, it's about the same. Uh, we get up and have a have breakfast. And, uh, of course, we don't have any kids here now. All of my kids are grown. But it was, if we're here at home, it was about the same. But we're gone so much. Uh, I live a whole different life now than I did growing up because we travel 100,000 miles a year. And we're not likely to, if you just put your finger on the mat, on, on, on the uh, calendar and pick a day, we might be in, in Texas, we might be in Pennsylvania, we might be in Wisconsin, we might be anywhere but here. And that's a whole different ball game. We get up whatever time we have to get up and clean up, shave, shower, have breakfast, and go to the place that we're playing. We're usually at the venue four or five hours ahead of showtime and set up our equipment, get a bite to eat, and get ready to go and do a show. But it's a whole different world from when we're home and when we're on the road. It seems like you're a man who likes to stay busy nonetheless. Well, <laughs> the Van Dyke trait is uh, we're, we're all workaholics. We we grew up working for a living. We didn't ask anybody to do anything for us for nothing. We didn't ask for a handout anywhere. We we got up and worked for our living, and that carries into the, the, the following generations. My dad was that way. All of my brothers and sisters that, that way. My kids are all that way. They're all hard workers. We're talking with Leroy Van Dyke. What musicians do you think have had the biggest influence on you? From a professional standpoint or personal standpoint? A little of both. From a personal standpoint, my parents. Uh, I had the best parents in the world. Growing up in, in, in our household with the parents that I had was better than the college education. They were smart people, uh, hardworking people, honest and dependable. And that probably was the biggest influence on my life. And what about the musicians who you would say kind of molded your style and your sound? I really don't know. I think that just came, whatever it is, uh, just came natural. I, I know my first musical influences were, of course, in school and, and church. We didn't have electricity when I was growing up. So the music at home came from a, a radio powered by, with uh, six-volt car batteries. And every time it would start to fade out and we needed another battery, we'd run to the back porch and get another one put in, clip, clip onto it, and resume. So my earliest influences were 
recordings by Gene Autry, uh, the Sons of the Pioneers, and people like that. And then, uh, then I would tune in the Grand Ole Opry and people like Hank Snow, Red Foley, uh, Ernest Tubb, a lot of those people. So the first influences came from them. And of course, Eddie Arnold was one of the main influences. But I, and at first, I think I was like everybody else. I kind of tended to imitate the people that made the song famous. But I got over that pretty quick. And uh, so what I do now is not molded uh, based on anybody but me. It's just what, just what comes natural. Would you say that country music is kind of like a brotherhood? In a sense, yeah, you could. It's uh, some of your best friends are your most powerful competitors because we we all play the same venues. Uh, we all uh, vie for a position in the lineup to be played on, on the radio. So uh, we are competitors, but yes, we it is a brotherhood or fraternity. Uh, to a large degree, there's some people that we don't care for because they're not nice people. But the, the people who behave themselves and and that are uh, honest and trustworthy, we we get along real well. When somebody goes to one of your concerts, what is it that you're hoping the listener gets out of that experience? Well, our shows mean different things to different people. I, I touched on that earlier. One song uh, might strike a, a major chord in one person and another song in another. And after the show, uh, the people will come down to the autograph tables and they will indicate to us which songs they like. So, oh, I'm really glad that you did that song because my, like auctioneer, for instance, I, I'm glad you did that because my father was an auctioneer and he's passed away and it brought back good memories. And I might do another song that, uh, like, Peace in the Valley and say, well, that was my mother's favorite song, or I might do some other song or somebody else's favorite song. So it means different things to different people, and that's why we put quite a variety of songs in our shows, to try to make everybody happy. One of the songs that you've recorded is a very well-known song, Millions Sold, Walk On By. Tell us us about that song. It was almost a non-entity. Uh, I was looking for songs to follow up Big Man in a Big House, which was a Harlan Howard song that I had out on Mercury that got to about number 17 in the charts, and it was about time to follow that with another one. So I started looking in Nashville at the various publishing companies and calling my songwriter's friends, and we found this song at Lowry Music in Nashville, but it wasn't completed. Uh, There was one verse and about a half of the chorus, and the the writer had sort of run out of inspiration and couldn't finish the song. So uh, I helped finish it a little bit, and the publisher took it home that night and wrote a second verse to it. So that's a very meaningful song because it almost didn't happen. But it caught on, went to number one right quick, and went to stayed number one for 19 weeks, stayed in the charts altogether for 42 weeks, and Billboard magazine named it based on record plays, record sales, and the number of weeks in the charts, Billboard magazine named it the the biggest country single of all time. So it's a very meaningful song for me in my career because there's only one number one, and I've got it. Something that's very interesting about your career, in all of the years, you're now into 60 years plus in show business, you've never missed a show. No. 
have you come close? Oh, yeah. Everybody's come close, and a lot of them miss shows. Some of them, like George Jones, get drunk on purpose and never show up. But I had pretty good training about getting up and down the roads. My dad, I, I knew how to drive anything that had wheels on it. And he also ran a truck line, and I grew up driving trucks, moving furniture, hauling cattle, and hauling freight. So I knew how to get a vehicle down the road. So I've gone through all kinds of weather conditions, snow and ice, blowing snow, high winds, heavy rains, fog. And I've never missed a show. I've been late for about, I might have been a little late on maybe as many as five shows, one because of fog a couple because airplanes didn't fly and I had instead of flying I had to rent a car and and get through the snow and drive to get to the job another time I had to buy a vehicle to get there and other times I uh, had to I'd have to charter buses or or rent cars charter airplanes I came very close to missing a lot of them but I I never missed one but I had been late a little late for about five of them that's incredible I wanted you to tell us a little bit about the Grand Old Opry. Tell us about the first time you performed there. Well, I don't remember much about it. I don't remember when it was. I after after Auctioneer came out and became well known, I I was in Nashville quite a bit. I joined the Country Music Association. I was down there for recordings and all sorts of things. I can't tell you the first time I walked on the stage at the Grand Ole Opry uh, because I don't remember exactly when it was or or who I was on with. I wish I could, but I can't. <laughs> I was glad to be there, let's put it that way. As far as places that you play, is it a place that has special meaning to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a very special place. For for anybody in country music, it's a special place because it's the longest-running radio show in history, and all of the... The greats of country music have gone across that stage and played there, as well as some other people that weren't even in country music have, have been to the Grand Ole Opry. When I became a member down there, uh, Jane Mansfield was on my show. And I also uh, had the Ames, uh, Ed Ames of uh, the Ames Brothers on the show. And they were, they were not country music people, but they would come down and make an appearance. And I was I was also the very first to put Waylon Jennings on the Grand Ole Opry. He was on my show, so it it has a lot of meaning there, and and all of the greats of country music have gone across that stage, as well as a lot of people that weren't country. Another interesting thing about your career, you were the first to take country music to Bourbon Street in New Orleans. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, it's just one of those chance. Uh, Meetings, uh, I was on the West Coast doing a TV show, and uh, also a guest on the show was Al Hurt, uh, the, the trumpet player. Uh, I had not met him up to that point, but I had done my run-through, my rehearsal. I walked back to the back of the studio, and he was standing back there, and he had a real gruff voice, and he said, uh, Kid, he said, uh, I, I want you to play my, uh, my joint in... Uh, in the French Quarter in New Orleans, he said, it's not too bad. He said, I just spent $200,000 on it, fixing it up, and, and I'd, I'd like for you to come do the show. Well, I, I didn't put too much uh, credence in that because people are always making promises they don't keep. But Al Hurt kept his promise. Within two weeks, 
I had a contract to go down there, and I went in for two weeks and stayed for five because it worked really well. Uh, the people in the French Quarter and the, all the tourists seemed to like what we did, so instead of a two-week engagement, it lasted for five weeks. And we came, uh, and then we came back periodically for a few appearances after that when and most of the time Al would bring me in when he was not going to be there, when he would be on the road doing shows other places, he'd bring me in to kind of fill his spot while he was gone. We're talking with Leroy Van Dyke. You've shared the stage with a lot of people, as you mentioned, in country music and also some not in country music. One that caught my eye, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, uh, that was another one of those uh, things that could not be predicted. I was in Korea. I was in the Army. And uh, one day the... uh, I was a I was a counterintelligence special agent. And I was attached to the 160th Infantry Regiment under the 40th Division. One day, the assistant division regimental commander came down there and asked if I'd do him a favor. And I said, "What's that?" I said, "He said uh, we have a USO show coming in, and we'd like you to open the show for her. Would you do that?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I'll do it." But I said, "You got to be kidding because." It's you're asking me to go out there and entertain 30,000 sex-starved GIs while they're waiting for Marilyn Monroe. It's not likely that it'll work, but I'll ha- I'll try. <laughs> so it worked very well. They were very nice to me. I did about 15 minutes, and she came on, and she was very, very nice to everybody. She It was a cold day. It was even snowing a little bit, but she came on in a uh, bare-shouldered, her shoulders, her arms were bare, but she walked right out in the snowstorm and entertained those troops. Well, what is the biggest compliment someone could give you? I, I really don't know. I've never searched for compliments. I've just tried to do a good job. One thing you can say, we've always tried to keep it professional and dependable. When they book the show, they know I'm going to be there, and they know when they come to the show, they know it's going to be professional because we don't just clown around. We get up and do a show, and we're always dressed for a show. We don't have holes in our clothes. And we have a haircut and, and a band that's always neatly dressed. So if, to describe our show, uh, you'd have to take in several elements, but I'd say dependable and professional. Another thing that's very interesting about you is you have a passion for Arabian mules. <laughs> yeah. That's very interesting. How did that happen? Well, I mentioned that I grew up on a farm working raising and working mules in the field. I spent hours and hours behind teams of mules in the hay field, mowing, raking, hauling in hay with the wagon, and also behind cultivators cultivating corn. I always liked mules. They're very dependable, smart, very intelligent animals, and very useful. And I always liked Arabian horses. We didn't have any Arabian horses when I was a kid, but I always liked them because they're such pretty horses. And so it's been about 25 years ago now since we started uh, raising Arabian mules out of raising mules out of Arabian mares. They make a very strong, beautiful mule because they take on the characteristics of the donkeys and and the horses. And the, the Arabians make a very very high class mule. So it, we're we're proud of our mules. We don't have any right now. Somebody came here from. Belize and Central America and whatever mule we had on the place. 
What is it you would say that you like about the country life? Well, that's a, that's a broad question. I like everything about it. I don't like the noise of a urban existence. I, I like the rural life. I like to be where you can look out and see deer or wildlife or look out and see trees and green grass and crops growing. Uh, I think that it sounds like we're an isolationist household. Maybe we are. But we, we see so much noise and so much confusion in traveling up and down the roads and all the traffic jams and all that stuff. The thing I like about living out here in the country is when I get here, all the noise stays somewhere else. What is the best thing about being Leroy Van Dyke? I don't think I could say that. I say any, anything that would uh, be an answer to that. I, I'm very happy with the way things are. I wouldn't trade place with anybody else because I like what I am because I know I know who I am and what I am and where I am. And I don't I would not want to change and be somebody else. I don't try to imitate anybody else. A lot of people have made a lot more money, but they've got problems that I don't have with drugs and drinking and stuff like that. I don't have any of those problems. I never took a drink in my life, never smoked, never took drugs and it's gonna stay that way. You've always liked to keep a clear head. Oh yeah. I want to remember, I want to remember where I've been and I want to know what to do when, when things confront me. I would like it if you could just kind of address the audience. I would more or less give you the stage. For anyone who's listening in, what would you say to them? Well, if I addressed anybody, it would be directed to the young people because older people are already set in their ways. If I gave him any advice, I would say, first of all, stay clear of drugs, alcohol, and tobacco, because any one of those things can ruin you and your career and your family. Focus on a goal of some kind. Get an education. Whatever your goal is, prepare yourself for it, so when the opportunity comes, you can step right into that job and do the job, whether it's entertainment business or anything else. You have to be ready for the opportunities. And so what I would say is stay clean, uh, stay focused on your goals, and get the education and develop the skill that it takes to uh, take care of that that goal. I'm going to ask another of my strange questions. (laughs) (laughs) If you were taking a test and you came to the very last question, and the last question was, who is Leroy Van Dyke? What would you write? I can't answer that. I don't know. I do what I like to do, and I've always advised younger people to find something they like so well that they'll do it for nothing, then learn to do it well enough that you can get paid for it. And I've done that. So I'm somebody who had several things that I've liked in my life. I've done all those things, and I'm comfortable where I am today, I know where I've been, and I know where I'm going. There are only four things I ever wanted to do. It's sing, sell, and I'm a licensed auctioneer, write. My background, part of my background in college was writing and journalism, and I worked for a newspaper for three years, and livestock. So those four things, singing, selling, writing, and livestock, have been my goals, and, and I still have those interests today. And I've been able to do what I wanted to do in all of those fields. Good answer. 
That's kind of a long answer. (laughs) Well, sir, thanks so much for sharing with us. Well, thank you for uh, taking time to listen to it. It was an honor. Thank you. You take care of yourself. And you too. The boop, bop, deep, bop, doodly, keep, bop, doodly, shop, bop, ding, dock, ooh, no, I just get up, I just like a pom, tom, cook, it's a bee, I just like a pom, cook, it's a bee, I just like a pom, cook, it's a bee, I just like a pom, cook, it's a bee, I just like a pom, cook, it's a bee, I just like a pom, cook, it's a bee, I just like a pom, cook, it's a bee, I just like a pom, cook, it's a bee, I just like a pom, cook, it's a bee, I just like a pom, c